welcome to a Pittsburgh episode of the Play It As A Lies podcast. Uh, for some of you that are interested to know, I've moved locations. We're no longer in the same area, Frank. I've moved to the Burg of Pitts, uh, where I sit a beautiful tower, uh, where I look at a UMPSC. So, Frank, how is it back in Maryland? You know, it's fine. Uh, it feels a little empty these days, uh, but I know you're holding it down there behind enemy lines, doing your thing. I'm doing my thing here, and... Uh, even miles and miles away, they uh, they couldn't keep us out of the virtual studio. They could not, and they never will be able to. Uh, and obviously, if you know, uh, we've been running through every division in the NFL. Uh, we've managed to make every single one for great episodes that you should check out if you already haven't. Uh, but to sum up all that team effort, there comes the beauty and the grace of the NFL honors. Uh, and let's get personal, Frank. 1v1 individual awards, uh, and I think there's no better place to start than the least individual of awards, Coach of the Year. Sure, it goes to an individual, but usually comes up to how well a team can perform compared to the last year. Uh, and there's a lot of heavy hitters at the top. Interestingly, I think uh, it's got to be pointed out that Brandon Staley, Freshman Coach of the Year, is at plus 1,300, leading the pack, along with Kevin Stefanski and Kyle Shanahan at the same number. Brian Flores and Sean McVay right behind at plus 1,400. Uh, and the remaining pack of Frank Reich, Ron Rivera, Sean McDermott, Bill Belichick, Sean Payton, Arthur Smith, all find themselves between that number and 2,000. So, Frank, why don't you get us started? Um, uh, you know, uh, before we get to your actual pick, what do you think the best value? Like, what what number surprises you the most out of all of this? Well, on the flip side of value, I think uh, the, the most surprising thing is at the top, like you mentioned, Brandon Staley being the uh, tied for the favorite with Stefanski and Kyle Shanahan because, you know, first-year head coach, really don't know what to expect. And at plus 1,300, I mean, I, I definitely wouldn't bet on Staley. I mean, that's a wait-and-see kind of thing. Um, so it's surprising to me that he's tied for the favorite. Also, Stefanski being uh, favored once again is a little bit surprising because Coach of the Year is, and we say it all the time, it's contingent upon narrative in many ways, and that varies year to year. Very rarely do you see a coach win Coach of the Year back-to-back. So I wouldn't bet on Stefanski either. Uh, on, on the lower side of the spectrum, uh, kind of like Sean Payton at plus 1,800, along with Bill Belichick, also at plus 1,800. Uh, two, you know, obviously historically uh, successful coaches, especially in the past decade, but two coaches that have not been prevalent in the Coach of the Year races recently. But I think that uh, they could find themselves back in the race this year if either of their teams uh, overachieve as they're not really expected to be great uh, double-digit win teams this year. Yeah, there's absolutely no certainty of those guys, but I mean, that, that was, those are about as blue chip as you get in head coaching, right? That That's that's uh, that's John Calipari and Mike Krzyzewski to the football world, uh, and I don't think they're going to go away, but they're both absolutely phenomenal picks. I think plus 1,800 for either of them, uh, it brings a lot of value because the Saints team, uh, if Sean Payton with his offensive mastermind can fix this quarterback position and make Jameis Winston into the quarterback that was promised and turns this offense into a top 10 offense. Sean Payton might find this court, this in his lap. And Bill Belichick, kind of in the same sense, if he can get Mac Jones or Cam Newton to work into a functioning offense now filled with playmakers, especially at the tight end position, which Belichick, of course, notoriously famous for using incredibly well. Uh, and of course, we know Bill Belichick. His trademark has always been defense. And if they, if they feel the top five, top 10 unit on that side of the field and then Belichick gives us tremendous play action and great running value out of the staple that he has, like Belichick always does, plus 1,800, I think should be a lot, lot higher. And honestly, I think that has to be my pick. I know we're not getting right into that, but that Bill Belichick, that's massive value for a guy to pick up his fourth coach of the year. I think that would take him into the lead for most ever by a single coach. Just tremendous work uh, for Billy B., uh, going back to what you were saying, though, Brandon Staley, I got to agree, last year was the f- first in a while for freshman head coaches winning uh, Coach of the Year with Kevin Stefanski. Don't think it's going to happen in back-to-back years. And speaking of back-to-back years, the last time a Coach of the Year has won back-to-back was Joe Gibbs uh, in 1983. So I think Stefanski's a little bit out the window. Shanahan, I think, is the safest of all the picks because we know for a fact that the, seven, the 49ers are going to go from a bottom-five team to probably a top-five team depending on how that division turns out. So he's going to have the narrative of a 6-7-8 game win differential on his side. It just, we all kind of know what is 
the 49ers and why he didn't win isn't really a difference of coaching, but more a difference of personnel. Yeah, absolutely. I think Shanahan at plus 1,300 is uh, not a bad number, given the guarantee that the 49ers are going to be better than they were last year, like you said. And again, Coach of the Year, it's difficult. It's a very difficult award to predict because it's contingent upon team success as well as a number of other factors. But uh, another guy that I like, and, and this is actually going to be the prediction I probably settled in on, is uh, Brian Flores, uh, the Dolphins head coach. Obviously, I've spoken very highly of Flores on this podcast in the past. Uh, one of my favorite coaches in the NFL, one of the best coaches in the NFL. I think at this point, it's pretty much a consensus uh, opinion. Uh, Flores was on the outside looking in when the coach of the year race came to an end last year. I don't expect the Dolphins to be any worse than they were last year. And I think the AFC as a whole is better. Their division will be better. And if the Dolphins are still competitive and they find their way into the postseason, uh, Flores could be credited with uh, guiding his team to that position, uh, especially given uh, he's dealing with, in all likelihood, inferior quarterback play to many of the other coaches uh, on this list. So I think that could work into his favor. It could. That is for certain if, if the, the voters were to give give him a little bit of pity, but this is the same story as last year, right? I Brian Flores was the number two guy behind Kevin Stefanski to win coach of the year, and that wasn't a very huge margin. I just think that the thing that ended up pushing him out of the race was the fact that the Dolphins didn't make the playoffs, and I don't mean to be a hater on the Dolphins as I was last episode, but... I'm still not convinced this is a playoff team with the social drama we know that's happening on defense and not an aptitude, but below average play, as you had alluded to for Tua, for Tua and whoever backs him up now. I don't know. I love Brian Flores. I think it absolutely is a consensus that he is a top 10 coach in the NFL and should easily be at the helm of the Dolphins for years and years to come. But coach of the year, I think, might have to come with a different guy at quarterback or at least a little bit more development for that guy. Um, but if I can kind of put in a similar perspective to you, a guy that isn't really uh, a favorite, and in fact, he, he is a favorite for another odd first to be fired, that maybe, maybe should sneak into some people's thoughts for possible coach of the year, Vic Fangio. Uh, before I start talking about Vic and his Broncos, let me reminisce to you about 2018, one of my favorite seasons of football, because not only were the Ravens really good, one of the best defenses in football, led by Eddie Jackson, Khalil Mack, uh, and the oh-so-bald Matt Nagy, who was coach of the year that year, because they went 12-4 and behind one of the best defense in the league. He made a guy that most people didn't think was very good in Mitch Trubisky look like an okay quarterback. I don't want to draw a lot of parallels there, but if Drew Locke looks like an okay quarterback, we have an incredibly good, even a top three, top one defense potentially in Denver uh, in the 29th easiest schedule, as I had mentioned in, 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 the, in the AFC West podcast episode. Uh... The storm is right for the Broncos to suddenly have 12 wins after only having five last year. You get the benefit of the Kyle Shanahan factor of a lot of wins being added on top of the fact that if the, the contingency here is Drew Locke. And if Drew Locke plays well, the quarterback and everyone in the media is going to look at the coach and say it's because of that guy. And so it's asking a lot of Drew Locke to be an average quarterback. But if that happens... I, I'm amazed that Vic Fangio, I'm not amazed that Vic Fangio isn't on this list, but his value, whatever it may be, is probably so, so valuable for the fact that he might end up with double-digit wins, a playoff team, and all of the credit for it. Yeah, it's not a bad sleeper prediction, and if the Broncos did, like you said, somehow win double-digit games and make the playoffs, uh, in, in almost everyone's estimation, that would be a pretty significant example of overachieving. Uh, and again, this to win coach of the year obviously your team has to be successful but it's also about overachieving like we said and you know overcoming adversity throughout the season and uh, that's what makes this award uh really interesting to talk about and kind of project down the line ah that's a beautiful way to sum it up you kind of softballed me the uh the segue here to our next award i'm excited to see that coach of the year but when we're talking about going through adversity no better adversity award than the comeback player of the year. Uh, Frank, this is, to me, a one-horse and one-horse race only, but I'm interested to see your take. Dak Prescott, of course, being that horse at plus 180, uh, followed by Joe Burrow, plus 550, coming back from that ACL. Saquon Barkley at plus 600, Christian McCaffrey, plus 700, uh, and a group behind him of Nick Bosa, Carson Wentz. 
uh, and a little bit behind them was Derwin James and Jimmy G, and surprisingly Sam Darnold. Uh, so Frank, your take, you agree with me? You think this is a one-horse race, and is Dak about a race away with the award? So I think that on paper, uh, it, it is a one-horse race, and that's what the odds tell you. And by all estimation, uh, Dak Prescott should be the favorite. He is probably the best position to win this award, but the thing that concerns me with Dak at plus 180 is I'm not too confident that he's going to play a full season. I mean, his health is still very much in question. Obviously, we know that he's coming back from the ankle injury, but there's been a lot of reports circulating uh, out of cow- out of the Cowboys in recent weeks that Dak is dealing with shoulder issues as well, and you have guys connected to the organization like Troy Aikman and Michael Irvin saying that uh, the Cowboys expect Dak to be playing through injuries pretty much throughout the entire season. Uh, and if he does that, then that would probably only strengthen his chances to win uh, Comeback Player of the Year. But I think there's cause for concern that uh, Dak could find himself uh, out of the lineup at some point this season, possibly, you know, for an extended period of time. Obviously, you never want to see that happen, but I think you have to take that into consideration. Uh, whereas some of the other guys on the list, they might not be dealing with those same concerns uh, at this point in the preseason. Maybe. I mean, I definitely understand where you're coming from. There's a lot of concern to be had, uh, especially because of those reports. But it's hard to find guys on the comeback player of the year list that aren't injury-riddled career guys. Saquon Barkley is the number three guy here at plus 600. And, I mean, has anyone had more injuries to start a four-year career? Uh, Next to that, Derwin James has had quite a few injuries throughout his career, along with Carson Wentz, who's now on season-ending injury number four, depending on what's happening. Of course, it does look like he's practicing right now, but same kind of thing as you were saying with Dak. Is he really playing 17 games? Is Saquon Barkley really playing 17 games? Hell, is Christian McCaffrey really playing 17 games? I think there's a lot of guys here that we just don't know if that's happening. And and so while I definitely see what you're saying, and with the value of plus 180, definitely not the risk willing to be taken, I think Dak is still head and shoulders above those guys, thinking that most of these guys have the exact same concerns going with them. Yeah, I think that that's a fair uh, refutement, if you will. And I would probably agree with you in the end that Dak is the most likely to win. Um, for the purposes of disagreement, though, I mean, some other guys that, that I think have an outside chance of winning this award, uh, you mentioned Saquon. Uh, Saquon is a, a total wild card at this point because he's essentially uh, been out of commission for two straight years. But like you said, if he's back and he's healthy, I don't see how Saquon wouldn't be in store for a huge bounce back year uh, statistically. I mean, the Giants offense as a whole should be better than the last time he took the field, which would benefit him in all likelihood. And in that same breath, on the different side of the ball, Derwin James, another guy who has really has only played six games since his rookie year, uh, like Saquon, he's essentially missed two straight seasons in a row. And I think Derwin James is a fantastic player, one of the most talented defensive players in the NFL. And only two defensive players have won this award since 2000. So it would be a long shot for Derwin James to do it. But if any defensive player this year, I think has the best shot, uh, it would be him. Because I do think, uh, God willing, if he's healthy, and I hope he is, I think he's also in store for a huge individual season. Yeah, that's absolutely fair, and that is uh, an, an enticing value of plus 1,400 to go along with it. So I think Derwin James, uh, absolutely fantastic pick uh, for that. But, you know, you're talking about defense. Let's uh, let's keep it rolling on that defensive ball. Uh, defensive Rookie of the Year, a lot of great defenders in this year's draft, a lot that I think, you know, there's a lot to rave about. I'm kind of surprised here with who's the favorite. Micah Parsons at the Dallas Cowboys at plus 550, followed by Jimin Davis at plus 800. Uh, does show the, the bias towards uh, the tackling stat that comes playing middle linebacker. Uh, followed by edge rusher Jalen Phillips, Patrick Sertain, Quiddy Pay at plus 1,000 and plus 2,000, respectively. Jeremiah Owusu-Karamoa for place 1,400, along with Zayvon Collins, J.C. Horn. Uh, and that is pretty much rounding out the major group here. Um a lot of talent in this draft, and I think it's hard to pick one, Frank, but if you were to look at one of those numbers and say, that's kind of interesting, which one would it be? Well, I'm not surprised that Michael Parsons is the favorite at plus 550. 
But I don't necessarily think Parsons should be uh, a lock to win this award. Uh, I think he'll have a good individual season. I mean, I think he's a very talented player. He'll put up numbers, but I think what will work against him ultimately is I don't think the Cowboys' defense is going to be good. Uh, they were really very bad last year. Uh, maybe they'll be slightly improved, but I don't know how much Parsons can lift up this defense on his shoulders and make them into an average unit, uh, and that could work against him. I mean, being the best player on a bad defense doesn't necessarily breed uh, recognition in the form of uh, defensive rookie of the year, or any award for that matter. Uh, I kind of like Jamin Davis at plus 800, and it would be a little bit of a bold prediction for the defensive rookie of the year to come from the same team back-to-back. Chase Young won it last year for Washington, but I think Jamin Davis has a, a real shot to win the award. And like you said, there's kind of a bias with linebackers when it comes to when it comes to this award and, and defensive player there because they're always going to put up stats. If you're a starting inside linebacker, you're going to have the tackles, and that shows up, obviously, in the box score. And we kind of saw that last year with Patrick Queen, who finished as a top three finalist for Defensive Rookie of the Year, despite having, uh, in large part, a very up-and-down, inconsistent year. Uh, he had the statistics when it was all said and done. And I think Jamin Davis is going to be a every-down every player for one of the best defenses in the NFL in Washington. And I think he'll have a strong individual season, which uh, could breed a defensive rookie of the year honors. And at plus 800, uh, pretty good value to go along uh, with that prediction. Well, Frank, can I interest you in in the exact same explanation, but for a player with a little bit more value at plus 1200? It kind of seems like you were just arguing for Patrick Sertain, right? One of the best defenses, one of the best defenses in the league, and Sertain quite easily could be the number one. I think Jamin, like we were saying, has the advantage of the position. Uh, and on top of that, is going to be an every-down player. Sertain will not be a certain to play because there are great cornerbacks behind him. Notably, Kyle Fuller is probably going to be the number one while Sertain still plays number two. Maybe that works on his side. But on the other hand, I think I think if Sertain gets on the other side of one of those balls where someone is thinking, okay, I got Kyle Fuller in the other side of the field. I've got a great pair of safeties on the top of the field. This is the safest part because there's a rookie patrolling it. I think Sertain can certainly be taking advantage of offensive coordinators that might look to lark in his way. Um, I think he has a very similar argument to Davis. I think the odds and the value are on his side, but Davis with the positional advantage with probably being on a better defense if it's all being said and done and the guaranteed and the guarantee of, uh, of playing almost every single snap is definitely a great odd for him. Yeah, and you know that I'm in agreement with you uh, on Sertain being a tremendous talent, and I think he's going to have a great rookie season in his own right. But like you said, he is going to be a piece in what is a great secondary all around. And I don't think he's going to have the same snap count as a player like Jamin Davis. Uh, and when it comes to you know defensive rookie of the year, the more around the field, uh, the better chance you have to compile stats and be recognized nationally. A sleeper name that I would like to throw into this mix is Quiddy Pay from Indianapolis, a player that we're both very familiar with from his time at Michigan. I think he is going to have a surprisingly impactful rookie season. And I think not a lot of people are really talking about him as a mid to late first round pick. But at plus 1200, uh, you talk about a guy with tremendous upside, uh, all the physical and athletic tools to be a day one starter, which is what he's going to be in Indianapolis uh, as a defensive end and a Colts defense that lost a lot of teeth up front in the offseason. Justin Houston and Nico Autry, uh, their two best pass rushers. Somebody has to pick up the slack. I think Quiddy Pay, uh, if he gets close to double digit sacks and the Colts are, you know, a, obviously a winning team and a top 10 defense, uh, he's somebody to keep an eye on in this defensive rookie of the year race. Yeah, and he's going to see a lot more snaps because of uh, the loss of Autry and, and Houston, which it's going to be great. I'm so excited to see Quiddy on the field for as long as he can be. Um, he is a fantastic three technique as well, so I wouldn't be surprised if even on the first few downs he's there into the run support, and then you know, he, he's going to be the free runner on a lot of those blitz plays, uh, which Frank Reich is pretty common in calling for. Uh, so yeah, 
Quidipay, a storm of a season. Uh, if I may add one more defender who I am a little bit concerned about. Play count, unlike Pay, uh, who is easily the number one on his team. Greg Rousseau, a guy who I think I've talked about uh, every opportunity I've ever had to, uh, who has played so, so phenomenally this preseason on top of guys, legends of the Bills, like Bruce Smith already talking about how great he's had to be this season. Um, he's going to be great. Now, plus 2,000, I think that there's certainly phenomenal odds. But is he going to be on the field all that much? It's going to be concerning. I think he's going to be one of the best rookies, but along with one of his rookies, one of his fellow rookies, Carlos Basham, uh, who is the Bills' second-round pick, Mario Addison, is still on the team. Uh, it was pretty fantastic. They don't tend to play with a lot of edge rushers for the Bills. They like to stick with their middle linebackers like Matt Milano, uh, patrol the middle, stick in that dime formation with all of the great cornerbacks on that team. It just feels like Greg Rousseau... Kind of like what you said about Sertain. I feel like he's going to be a piece to what is going to be an okay defense, whereas Pay is going to be a major part of what could be a good defense, top 10 defense, like you said. Value, definitely a great Greg Rousseau pick at 2,000, uh, but Pay, I do think, a, a nice uh, a nice little addition there. So uh, it sounds like we're in agreement that betting on Quiddy, uh could have a good pay out in the end. Uh, it certainly might be if you're talking about the defensive rookie of the year, though I would hope that you're not betting on him for offensive rookie of the year, uh, which also kind of looking like it's going to be a great race between all of the phenomenal quarterbacks that we saw get drafted, with, of course, at the very top of them is T-Law. Mr. Trevor Lawrence out of Clemson, now playing in Duval County at plus 300. Behind him is Justin Fields at plus 650 of the Bears. Trey Lance at the 49ers at plus 700. Najee Harris right here in Pittsburgh at plus 800, filed by Kyle Pitts, plus 900, and Zach Wilson and Mac Jones together at plus 1,000. Behind them is a group of wide receivers and a single running back between plus 1,400 and plus 1,800, that being Chase Smith and Waddle, the top three wide receivers in the draft, and the Javante Williams. Uh, Frank, Trevor Lawrence, or are you looking at the field? I think there are a number of uh, interesting options uh, in the field, and this is a very talented uh, incoming offensive rookie class, but Trevor Lawrence has to be considered uh, uh, the number one. And it's like much like with Dak Prescott, a comeback of the year. I'd be very surprised if Trevor Lawrence did not end up winning rookie of the year. I mean, there's a reason that he is, you know, the prince who was promised, so to speak. He is the most highly touted quarterback prospect since Andrew Luck. And before Andrew Luck, maybe uh, nobody else in, in recent history. And he's going to play from day one. I think you know it could be some, there could be some growing pains like there is with any rookie quarterback, but uh, talent and opportunity with Lawrence is is going to be there more than say Justin Fields or Trey Lance. And I mean Zach Wilson is the only other quarterback who's guaranteed a day one starting job. But I expect Lawrence to be better than Wilson will be uh, in this season. A very astute analysis by you. Lawrence is going to see the field. He's already making great plays. I don't know if you watched the Jaguar Saints preseason game by off chance, uh, but he had two guys in his face in the end zone, uh, spiraled a beautiful pass out to the t uh, to the sideline. Uh, I mean, he is exactly like you said, the prince that was promised. And the average NFL rookie uh, quarterback is, you know, uh, usually in the range of like 20 to 16, a very below average quarterback. Uh, and, you know, statistically, that will back it up with anyone, uh, except for a few exceptions. That notably, that notably being a few guys like the guy you mentioned, Andrew Luck. I think Peyton Manning is the, the quarterback behind behind that that scored. Trevor Lawrence could definitely be in line to be that next guy that just super exceeds and becomes a top 10 quarterback instantly. Um, but looking outside of the quarterback field, uh, like I mentioned right here, uh, playing just a mile away from where I'm standing, uh, or I guess sitting, uh, Mr. Najee Harris is the new number one running back, and dear God was he good at Alabama, and behind a professional offensive line, uh, an offense that is known for passing and is not really interested in running the ball all that much, I think Harris is going to be looked over a lot when people are preparing to play the Steelers, but they can be surprised. I think he can bust out 100-yard 100, 100 games multiple times this season, uh, and I would be surprised if he doesn't end up in a 1,000-yard rusher this year, as he is certainly 100%, no, Bell, no Benny Snell involved, the number one running back on this roster. And I think the Steelers are going to use that right. Mike Tomlin is not going to forget that he used a first-round pick on a running back for the first time in his career. Uh, and I think that Harris, maybe not as good of an argument as Lawrence, who, I mean, we've already spoken up enough of him, but Harris is definitely going to be my number one guy outside of the quarterback field. Yeah, I would agree. And I think Harris, 
uh, like you said, probably has the best chance out of Lawrence, uh, out of anyone but Lawrence, to win this award. I mean, he's going to have all the opportunity in the world to uh, compile stats. I think not only is he going to have an impact as a rusher, but I also would be surprised if he doesn't catch a lot of passes out of the backfield this year uh, for a Steelers team that, you know, their passing game uh, is, is very much underneath and short routes. And, and I think Harris will fit right in that equation. Uh, but you reminisce if we didn't miss, if we didn't mention another skill player, uh, Kyle Pitts, uh, without a doubt, the most talented tight end prospect uh, probably that we've ever seen coming into the NFL. And he's plus 900 to win offensive rookie of the year. I couldn't tell you the last time that a tight end won this award. Uh, frankly, I couldn't tell you if a tight end has ever won this award, but uh, if anyone was going to do it, you'd have to think, if anyone was going to break that spell, you'd have to think that Pitts uh, has a pretty good shot. And in Atlanta, I expect him to get a lot of targets this season. I mean, somebody has to fill uh, the Julio Jones role in that offense. And by all accounts, Pitts seems uh, pretty prepared to take on a big workload as a pass catcher for a Falcons team that throws the ball a lot. And I think he's going to see a lot of balls come his direction. And he's going to have an impressive stat line at the end of the season. So plus 900, but not a bad sleeper option as well. Yeah, and I don't, uh, you know, he's a rookie, but uh, we've never seen Matt Ryan with a uh, tight end maybe of Pitts' caliber since Tony Gonzalez. Uh, and as much as I love uh, Thor and what... Um, Hayden Hurst provides for this offense. Kyle Pitts is a whole another level to the level of Levine Toiloilo uh, that we've seen uh, Matt, Matt Ryan throwing to in recent years. So definitely agree with you there with Pitts uh, being a fantastic odds, a plus 900, Harris a plus 800, Lawrence a plus 300. I think it's definitely the top three uh, that I would go for if we were talking about Offensive Rookie of the Year. But we are no longer doing that, Frank. We're now talking about one of the major three awards, Defensive Player of the Year has been for the last few years just held on to dearly by Aaron Donald. Of course, he was last year's winner and the year before that. And we've returned now to see his competitors. He is sitting at plus 400. Garrett, Miles Garrett, of course, plus 600. TJ Wad, who also narrowly lost the award last year, plus 700. The Bosa brothers coming in at 1,100 and 1,200. Nick over Joey. Uh, last year's Defensive Rookie of the Year, Chase Young at plus 1,600. And almost traded Khalil Mack, uh, staying a bear, apparently, at plus 2,000, uh, forming up the top seven. Frank, Aaron Donald, another one? Or uh, you think we're going to see a little differentiation in the Defensive Player of the Year award? Well, it'd be easy to say that Aaron Donald is going to win this award again. And, you know, in all likelihood, when it's all said and done, I, I would expect him to be a finalist again. But, you know, it's no fun to, to it's no fun to go with the with the chalk pick. And I think there's a lot of other options uh, in the field that could have legitimate chances to win this award. And the guy right behind him, Miles Garrett, you know, only plus 600. But there's a reason why, you know, he's a narrow number two to Donald. And I think Garrett had a legitimate chance, a legitimate case to win the award last year. And I think he's well positioned to be right back in the mix uh, in 2021. I think the Browns defense overall uh, improved a lot in the offseason, so they should be better. And that could even, you know, take a little bit less pressure or, or tension off of Garrett. He could find himself with some more one-on-one -on -one situations. And he's had, you know, double-digit sacks in three straight years. He's repaired his off-the-field or on-the-field reputation for what's, for all intents and purposes, for whatever that's worth. But I think Garrett would probably be my prediction uh, to win this award if I had to make one. Yeah, and I, I will double up on that one. I mean, he was so close last year, and now, like you mentioned, this defense is getting better. Uh, just specifically with his partner in crime now, being J Jadavion Clowney, it, that's that's I would say about a third of the double teams that Garrett would face uh, between tight end tackle or, or tackle guard uh, that he is no longer going to have to deal with because that is, I mean, there are going to be coordinators who are still dealing with the fact that this guy was a number one overall pick. This guy was a generational talent at the edge rusher position. He might have had a down year for the last two years for the Seahawks and the Titans, but it just takes one good game for people to be like, Jadavion Cloud is back, and they're going to start having to double-team him again. They're going to start having to deal with him again. And that gives Miles Garrett the all-holy one-on-one that we didn't see with Aaron Donald. And this is how T.J. Watt did it last year, right? He got a better edge partner because he got Bud Dupree back. And then clearly he had one of the best edge-rushing seasons of all defenses last year. 
Donald was incredibly impressive with what he did. My feelings toward who should have won last year remained the same. Uh, and for that reason, I still think that Garrett should be viewed uh, as the best competitor to Donald. And in a personal opinion, probably still should be the favorite because when the stats say that Garrett and Watt will probably have better statistical seasons than Aaron Donald, despite the double teams, I still think that. Rant aside, Miles Garrett's going to be a great pick for defense play of the year. Plus 600. Great odds. Yeah, pretty good odds uh, for somebody we both think should be at least a co-favorite to win the award. And, you know, looking down the line, obviously, there's a number of other guys who stand out. Uh, in recent history, it feels like this award has been kind of dominated by pass rushers or edge rushers, outside linebackers, uh, whatever you want to call it. And either of the Bosa brothers, I think, could be interesting options. Uh, Nick Bosa is plus 1,100. Joey Bosa is plus 1,200. Uh, Nick, obviously coming back from uh, missing pretty much the entirety of last season. Joey Bosa, you know, he's dealt with some injuries in his own right. I think they're both probably in store for really strong individual seasons. And Joey in particular, I think, is kind of flying under the radar at this point. He's been in the league uh, longer than Nick has. But I think at their peak, Joey's probably a little bit better, at least from what we've seen. And this could be a year that, I think people are kind of reminded of how good he is because, you know, he's dealt with some injuries over the past couple of seasons. He hasn't been on the field as much as some other premier pass rushers, but I wouldn't be surprised if we're looking at a 12 to 15 sack year from Joey Bosa and the Chargers defense is uh, much improved. And if that happens, I, if that happens, he could definitely get some recognition uh, as it pertains to this award. As you should. I'm very excited to see both the Boses and Joey is definitely an interesting take, though. Obviously, with the Chargers, you've got to talk about Derwin James. You already talked about him earlier for the Comeback Player of the Year award. Um, but, you know, plus 2,500 is, is pretty solid odds for who might end up being the number one defender on that team. I think how far that defense gets is going to be a big holding back for it because I honestly see this team being a great defense, but the ceiling feels like they're going to be a top the, the, the ceiling feels like a number 8, number 9, number 10 defense, which is good. It, certainly, some could even say great. But I just don't see the Chargers really cracking the the upper echelon of defenses of teams like the football team, the Broncos, uh, the Bears, the Ravens, the Saints. I, I just don't see the Chargers being that good, and I think it kind of hurts both Bosa and James as much as they do hurt each other as being co-defensive player of the year nominees. Now, a guy who could be on a top five defense, uh, specifically a top three defense, depending on where you look and how you feel about it. Daniel Hunter um, is, I think, the best player on football's best defensive line. Uh, at plus 3,300, a double-digit sack guy uh, who is the best, who is undoubtedly the best player on his defense uh, and, and is an edge-rudging threat that's going to play some weak offensive lines, uh, especially within his division. You've got to play the Lions twice and the Bears twice. You just got to ask Chase Young how uh, how good that was last year to see how, how those match up because th those are good matchups for a defensive end. And Daniil Hunter is just so incredibly undervalued at plus 3,300. He is such a good defender. His defense is going to be incredible. Uh, I don't think the Vikings have any other notable players that can any way contest for this award. There is a single bastion of an incredible defense on a defense that could be top five, and his name is Daniil, not Danielle, and he might be winning this award this year. Yeah, it's an important distinction distinction to make between uh, Daniel and Daniel because I think a lot of people get that wrong, myself included. But it's an interesting sleeper pick. I mean, I don't. You might be the only one in the world who's mentioned his name as a defensive player of the year candidate, and at plus thirty three hundred, uh, you sir would look like quite the genius if that somehow came true. I would, I would. It is a long shot, but I'm excited to see all of those players. I think I've said that at the end of all of these awards, uh, and I'm excited to move on to the next award, too. And that, of course, is the partner in crime to the Defensive Player of the Year. It is the Offensive Player of the Year. Uh, a lot of people view this as the runner-up MVP award, and honestly, let's treat it that way. Um, a lot of these explanations are going to go along with the MVP afterwards. So, Frank, uh, you know, I'll read down the odds of uh, Derrick Henry at plus 700, along with Patrick Mahomes. Uh, Christian McCaffrey is behind them at plus 1,000. George Kittle is plus 1,200. Dalvin Cook and Josh Allen at plus 1,500. Nick Chubb at 1,600. Reigning MVP Aaron Rodgers at plus 1,800, along with Alvin Kamara and Tom Brady. And at plus 2,000, we've got the swamp of Devontae Adams, Lamar Jackson, Saquon Barkley, Travis Kelsey. 
It's a lot of names, Frank. An offensive player of the year is easily the most unpredictable award because it, sometimes it goes to the best running back, sometimes it goes to the second best quarterback, sometimes randomly we forget that the tight end had one of the greatest seasons of a tight end ever existing, uh, and we still don't give him the award. So, Frank, how would you view who should be the favorite? Because Henry and Mahomes are obviously two of the best offensive players, uh, but do you really think that they should be viewed as the choices here? Uh, it's hard to say. I understand why they're the co-favorites, uh, Henry especially, given that you know he did just win last year, coming off 2,000 yards, and you know you expect Henry and Mahomes, like all the players on this list, frankly, to have very, very impressive and strong statistical seasons. That's what you know makes it kind of hard to predict. You know who's going to emerge from the pack, and most of the time with this award, it's never really a consensus. I mean, whoever wins. There's always a strong argument to be made that the runner-up or the third and fourth place finishers uh, should have won in their own right. But I'm going to stick with the recent trend that uh, it's a skill position player who wins as opposed to a quarterback. That's been the case the past two years with Derrick Henry last year and Michael Thomas the year before. I think Alvin Kamara at plus 1,800 is an interesting, somewhat of a sleeper slash value selection. Uh, And frankly, I might have made the same prediction last year, but... I think Kamara is going to, again, uh, have a very, very strong individual season. And, you know, Michael Thomas is going to miss probably six to eight weeks. And in that Saints offense, who else is going to provide consistent production? I mean, there's no other star talent other than Kamara. And sure, he's going to be keyed in on by opposing defenses. But that's been the case for the past few seasons. And it hasn't stopped him from producing both as a rusher and a receiver, and if the Saints as a team, you know, overachieve a little bit, find themselves in that playoff race, uh, it's going to be because Kamara is the driving force. And with no Drew Brees in the picture, that only adds to uh, what I think is going to be narrative plus production driving Kamara at plus 1,800 to be value selection. That is... An interesting opinion, because I think I'm very conflicted about how the Saints season is going to go, and obviously if the Saints have a good season, not only, we talked about earlier about Sean Payton having good odds for Coach of the Year, Alvin Kamara should be right up there at the top uh, going into Week 17 about the Offensive Player of the Year uh, nominees. That being said, there still are a lot of questions about the Saints offense, most notably at quarterback, and if you look back last year at the three weeks that we got to see the, we got to see the combination of Taysom Hill and Alvin Kamara, and it wasn't really that beneficial for Kamara. Obviously, Taysom likes to use his legs a lot, uh, and the positions where Drew Brees would look around the field, decide that it wasn't worth it, and just dump it up to Kamara are the same situations where Taysom would just take off. Uh, And that doesn't bode well for Kamara to have a better season than he did last year. And I think that's going to be kind of the negative mark on, on his resume, is that even if he has a great season and exceeds expectations by doing better with a worse quarterback or with a worse system built around him, I don't know if he's going to put up the stats that are better and he's going to be improving from last year. And I think that's not going to look as good than maybe a guy like Dalvin Cook who will have more yards the next year. I kind of think the same about Derrick Henry as well. Like, if you don't, if he doesn't hit 2,000 again, aren't people going to be a little disappointed? Like, obviously, we know what good football is, but I think there's a chance that that happens. Christian McCaffrey, though, at plus 1,000 is guaranteed, actually, to beat his stats as long as he plays over four games. And and I think that he'll be a phenomenal addition. I don't know how him and Sam Darnold kind of are going to go, but, I mean, honestly, if I'm uh, anyone in the Panthers organization, I'm just looking at uh, Darnold and just saying, get the ball to McCaffrey if you're ever worried. And McCaffrey could maybe become, uh, to Darnold, what, what Kamara so heavily was for Breeze for the last few years. And I think that could be a killer combination along with the talented offensive line and wide receivers they have for the Panthers. So McCaffrey currently in third place in the odds, I think would be my pick. Yeah, I mean, you can't go wrong with that prediction, obviously. And it feels like McCaffrey has won this award before. It feels like he should have won it a couple of years ago, but uh, he hasn't. So, you know, as a first-time winner, or I think McCaffrey is definitely a viable candidate, especially... Like you said, his stat line uh, undoubtedly is going to be miles and miles and miles ahead of where it was uh, last season. But we'll have to agree to disagree on the uh, dual threat running backs with this conversation. But are there any other skill position players or quarterbacks for that matter that you think could find themselves as winners as well? 
Yeah, I'm looking at two other guys, uh, both valued at 2,000, one a quarterback, one a wide receiver. I'll start with the quarterback because I'll keep it a little short because maybe a tinge of bias, as it always is with the Ravens. Lamar Jackson at 2,000, I think just the presence that he gives with his legs uh, in an offensive line that maybe hasn't looked great, but the talent is there. And I think if we don't see another great rushing quarterback, if Kyler Murray doesn't have a great season and he is the sore thumb sticking out as, as the top runner in this in this, in this this category, I think Lamar Jackson will definitely be up there at the top, especially now that he has a better core wide receivers, he has more rapport with his tight ends and a few of the running backs. I think there's a solid chance that just the amount of weapons that the Ravens have will just make Jackson look better and better, especially in the passing game. And if Jackson, who already has had a 15 t- 50 touchdown season, can make 30 to 35 of those come in the air and pair that with his usual 15 to 20 on the ground uh you know that that those are those are not numbers you can just look aside from uh and i think that always gives some odds uh and next with him i would say Devonte adams uh you know i'll talk about it a little bit more in a second but we already know it's the last dance for for him and Aaron Rodgers, and I absolutely could see him. And Vegas also sees him as scoring a shit ton of touchdowns this season. He's actually the favorite for the most receiving touchdowns uh, this season. I could see him having the most yards, and if you pair the most yards and the most touchdowns as a receiver to go along as the number one target for who might be the best quarterback this year, it seems like Devonte, along with Lamar, at plus two thousand, seem both like great value shots. But uh, did you have any other ones beyond that? Other than that. Uh, not really. I mean, you know, you can make a case for any of the players on this list to, to be candidates for this award, but Travis Kelsey, another guy at plus 2,000, uh, for the life of me, I, I can't really figure out why he's so low on this list, especially when another tight end, George Kittle, is all the way at plus 1,200. And, you know, we love George Kittle, but uh, Travis Kelsey is the best tight end in the NFL, and he had over 100 catches last year, 1,400 receiving yards. Uh, 11 touchdowns and if he puts up numbers like that again uh, and the Chiefs are going to be great obviously I wouldn't be surprised if you know he's another he's another lively option as the season winds down yeah absolutely a great option I just think that people maybe Vegas as well are a little bit concerned with the fact that he had the best tight end season of all time as I alluded to when I introduced this and he still didn't win the award like what more does this guy have to do to have won all respect to Derrick Henry, 2,000 yards is an absolutely phenomenal stat, but the greatest season by a tight end ever happened last year, and we did not reward this guy. I don't know what more he has to do, and I think Vegas feels the same way at plus 2,000. Tight ends get no love. That much we know. Ain't no love. Ain't no love. No heart in the city. Uh, let's move on to the last award, Frank. MVP. We kind of covered absolutely no quarterbacks, except for Lamar, but he's uh, all the way down at plus 1,600. Vegas does not see him as a front runner, like they see Patrick Mahomes at plus 500, or reigning MVP Aaron Rodgers at plus 1,000, uh, Josh Allen at plus 1,200, Russell Wilson maybe gets his first at plus 1,400, along with Tommy Terrific, uh, and Dak Prescott and Kyler Murray right behind them, along with Lamar at plus 1,600. Frank MVP, it's it's the big question, you know. We've got a lot of a lot of storylines. Uh, Aaron Rodgers, of course, with the Last Dance. Josh Allen, can he get to the Super Bowl? Russell Wilson, can he finally do it? Can he finally win MVP and be the favorite after Week Eight? Uh, and of course, Tom Brady trying to add more silverware to his hardware collection. Uh, a lot of different ways to go with this one. I'll let you start wherever you'd like. Yeah, I mean, this is the the only award that you know which position. Uh, is going to be the winner, and that's quarterback. I mean, all the other awards uh, really could be any any skill position player or any defensive position, but MVP is a quarterback-dominated award, and uh, the whoever wins is usually contingent upon a, a perfect storm, really. Everything comes together. Uh, individually, you have a great season. Uh, team-wise, you know, you're a division winner. You're a double-digit win team. That's kind of the baseline. And when you look up and down this list, Really, I only think there's a few guys that you can kind of uh, foresee that prediction. The likes of Mahomes, Rodgers, Josh Allen, Russell Wilson, uh, Tom Brady. But I don't really see guys like Dak Prescott or Kyler Murray or Justin Herbert really being viable options, despite them, you know, being middle of the pack odds wise. But I think the low hanging fruit is Patrick Mahomes. and, And that's probably the direction that I would go. It's difficult for someone to win back-to-back. That's what kind of scares me off with Aaron Rodgers. And Lamar won two years ago, and I don't know if necessarily he would have uh, the narrative going for him again this year as much as I'd like to see that happen. But 
you know, Mahomes won, you know, a few years ago also, but I think he's going to have a huge chip on his shoulder this year after losing the Super Bowl. And you know he's going to have a tremendous individual season. And I think that even at plus 500, while it's obviously not the best value play, you have to think that Mahomes, when it's all said and done, is probably going to have the best chance of anyone to win MVP. And that's, you know, the exact reason that uh, he's the odds-on favorite. It absolutely is, and I 100% agree with what you're saying about the MVP. It feels like there's five guys who could genuinely win, and there's a whole bunch of other guys who would be like, ah, they could compete. It's the opposite of the Offensive Player of the Year, where I feel like a lot of guys, you know, any given year could put up a big number season. But with MVP, there's there's a baseline if you want to win MVP, and his name is Patrick Mahomes. And it's hard to see a lot of these guys having a better season than Mahomes. Uh, and I think, like you said, those guys are Rodgers, Allen, Wilson, Brady, because of the pedigree, I actually... Uh, wouldn't I, I actually would take Brady off that list. So there are really three guys that I could see beating him, uh, being Rodgers, Allen, Wilson, all being in pass-heavy offenses, all being in offenses built entirely about their skill set. There's not many other guys like that. Lamar Jackson I would also include in there because, I mean, that entire offense is just who Lamar is. Uh, Matt Stafford, maybe if Sean McVay decides to lean entirely in that way with Cam Akers out for the season, I think that... Uh, that could definitely certainly be that way, and he's got the best odds out of any of those people I named at plus 1,800. But, I mean, it's a tough question of do you think someone will be better than Patrick Mahomes? And I think it's just so easy to say no. Uh, and so I think I will. I think Patrick Mahomes will be my pick. Uh, last dance guy, Aaron Rodgers. I mean, if, if I'm, I'm essentially basing how good the Packers are going to be off one Instagram story, uh, and I entirely believe it. Aaron Rodgers also plus a thousand is great odds. Stafford, uh, whatever Sean McDavid does with that offense, I can't imagine it's going to make Stafford look any any way or bit bad. Eighteen uh, hundred is great value there, but it all starts, it all ends, it all is Patrick Mahomes at plus five hundred. Yeah, I think Rodgers at plus one thousand. Uh, that's definitely not something to completely shy away from, but you know, it's just a question of, question of how much better can he be than he was last season. I mean, last statistically. 2020 was the best year of his career. And can he top or match 48 touchdowns to five interceptions with the 70% completion percentage? Maybe uh, it wouldn't put it past him, but Packers also won 13 games and they would have to do that again. And again, it's just tough for someone to win MVP back to back, especially given the talent pool that we're dealing, that we're talking about here. And I like Stafford, like you mentioned at plus 1800. Uh, again, that, that's kind of a, a thing where it could all come together for Stafford this year. I mean, he's in the best situation of his career. If the Rams win that division, you know, win 12, 12, 12 games or so, and Stafford is balling out, that, that wouldn't be terrible. And I want to say Stafford earlier in the offseason was somewhere around plus 1,000 or plus 1,200. So his odds are kind of dropping a little bit as the season airs. So if you do believe in Stafford, now is probably the time uh, to bet on him at that plus 1800 before you know that number drops a little bit as the season progresses yeah that's also to go along with the fact that the rams have uh, a, a lot of a lot of interesting games to open up the season and i feel like if if you know mvps need those you know those signature games and i feel like the fact that the rams are playing teams like the buccaneers uh all of their divisional games versus the seahawks cardinals and, and niners could consolidate that a win versus the packers or or the ravens versus fellow mvp nominees uh, you know stafford is set up for a season where if, if he does and check box marks all those boxes like you said to start win the division double digit games make the playoffs be a very good offense, be a quarterback. He checks off all of those boxes, and the last one he would need is just major wins versus other major guys. He's got two matchups with Wilson. He's matching up with uh, Lamar. He isn't playing Mahomes, which I think, you know, if you beat Patrick Mahomes, it's going to be a huge addition to your MVP caliber, and the Chiefs play a lot of good quarterbacks this year. Uh, but I absolutely think that Stafford is, is going to be the sleeper this year and could definitely be a top-three nominee but, I mean, I said this at the last part of my thing. It, it just really just baseline Patrick Mahomes. you got to be better than him, and that's almost impossible to do. Yeah, I mean, Mahomes is, is Thanos of the NFL, really, at this point. But to wrap up the MVP conversation, you know, since 2000, only been four players to win it who weren't a quarterback, uh, and they were all running backs. Uh, AP in 2012, uh, with Damian Tomlinson in 2006, Sean Alexander in 2005, 
and Marshall Falk all the way back in 2000. Uh, wrote him, you're a big running back guy, but do you think there's any chance, any chance at all, and if you want, you can even put odds on it, that the MVP of 2021 is not a quarterback, one, and two, uh, is a running back and or a different skill position player? Uh, if I had to put odds on it, I would say a running back to win it plus 7,000 uh, skill position, probably plus 6,000. Uh, just because you're throwing in probably three named guys and Devontae Adams, Travis Kelsey, and probably Tyreek Hill. Uh, but the running back court, just I don't know how you can compare these positions when you know uh, that they're, they're just such good, you know, such good talent in the quarterback pool compared to the offensive player pool at the skill positions. And there's a hierarchy in the NFL, and quarterback sits absolutely on top of it. Um, if I had to pick a guy, though, I like the Vikings a lot, so Dalvin Cook. I genuinely believe Derrick Henry's not going to see double-digit games, so I would shy away from that. And like you mentioned, Kamara, I guess if the quarterback situation works out, but it just feels like every skill position has huge question marks revolving around other players. A quarterback is the deciding factor of whether that quarterback season will be good, and Mahomes is the king of doing that, and so is Rodgers, and so is Allen, and so is Wilson. Uh, and I think that's why those four guys are so, so far ahead than the rest of the skill position crew. Follow-up question. Should they change the name of the award to most valuable quarterback instead of most valuable player, you know, given uh, quarterback bias is alive and well when it comes to this award? I think we just need to figure out a way how to eliminate quarterback bias. For But, yeah, I think we should uh, not allow quarterbacks to win offensive player of the year uh, and just change it to skill position of the year. Or, uh, or like athlete of the year, something like that. Something that you know makes sure that we don't just see the quarterback and the second best quarterback win MVP and offense player of the year. And you know, with that by accident, we just uh, solved all of the NFL's problems. Call us, Goodell. You know, uh, you have our number. Yeah, call us up, and we'll uh, we'll come sit in the chair, and it, we'll come sit in his lap, uh, in his basement on that chair, watching the draft together. It'll be a great mm -hmm. time. Yeah, I'll give you a nice pat on the back, uh, walk over to you, say a little joke. You'll giggle on screen. It'll be a great time for everyone. Uh, you know what else is a great time for everyone listening to this podcast, as I hope everyone has thought as they got to this end. Uh, if you've loved this rundown of all of our NFL stuff uh, between all of our division previews and, of course, the awards today, uh, make sure to check out the rest of our episodes. We're going to do one every week, of course, as we did last season, uh, and telling you which teams and which games you should make sure to be put putting your money on <laughs> to watch out for those and to listen to our other podcasts. Make sure to check out at Play It Pod, both on Twitter and on Instagram. You can find me on both of those platforms at Rotom Hoffman and Frank, where can our dear listeners find you? Uh, on Twitter, as usual, at FrankJP0, and we will see you September 9th for week one. Mm -hmm.